When I was 17 years old, I would have told you I was living the best year of my life. And nothing particularly happened in the year 2009 for me. Maybe it happened for you, maybe that's when you were born. But, but for me, I had figured, I had done the calculations of my birth, my childhood, and my adolescence, and I'd come to the conclusion, wow, 17 is amazing. Well, first of all, you're no, people don't necessarily call you a kid anymore, and more of the conversation goes to, you're almost 18 years old. And maybe other ages stuck out to you based off of your culture or family tradition. And growing up in a multicultural home, there were ages that were important, but my age was 18. I could not wait to be 18. I had three reasons why. The first reason was because I had been a keychain collector. And I don't know if any of you collect keychains, but I had accumulated over the years lots of keychains and no keys. And there was always that snarky person when I would get really excited to show them my keychain key collection and it was really big. And there's always that one person that's got to ruin it for you. Well, too bad you don't have any keys. So I was excited and determined that when I hit 18, I would finally get the chance to start having keys on a keychain and then I could be that adult that I would be rummaging through my purse or pocket and say, oh yeah, here's that key. I was just craving that level of responsibility and independence in my life. Another thing I was looking forward to was that I had always answered the same thing when someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. And it was to be a therapist. And finally, I had the chance, I would tell people in high school, I can't wait to study what I want to study in college. So I could finally have the chance to get that psychology, bachelor's in psychology and be a therapist. 17 meant I was one year closer to finally getting to meet that goal. And the third thing I was finally looking forward to was that I had grown up in a ministerial family that moved frequently. And I really was craving to be able to say, well, in my terms and in my ways, I can't wait to pick a spot in the map and just say, I choose to live here and it won't be someone else's calling that's going to determine where I'm going to be. Ironically, I'm here with my parents in Colorado. Some of you know the spoiler alert. But I couldn't wait to be able to be able to determine that for myself. The interesting thing is that we all have this universal experience of growing up. And it looks different for everyone, but overall, if we are on this human earth and you're here today, you may not remember, but at some point we were all babies. We were all babies and we were all children. And as you've progressed in different stages of your life, maybe today you have joined the 18 plus crew, adulthood. And what, what comes with adulthood? Well. I can tell you that I'm 12 years in, I'm really excited, I'm 30, um, and I have found that with adulthood, I have found lots of power, um, power to make a lot of decisions, and some decisions have been very exciting to make. And some haven't been as exciting. There's so many decisions that you encounter as you get more and more independence. 
My word of the year has been power. I don't know if you've heard of this, but some people pick their word of the year. And uh, I've been really wrestling with the word power in my personal study, in my life. It's been a theme that has come across in the last year. And I've started to see it everywhere. You know, when you start looking for something, you start seeing these patterns and themes. And in this year of 30, I've thought a lot about, well, what's coming up next? Can't wait to plan it. But what happens with adulthood or life? is how we realize that sad things happen to everyone. That as much control that we feel like we have as a human, we realize that we're only so limited with our control. That at some point, someone could do something really bad and it could hurt us. Someone we don't even know. That there are wars and terrors that happen on this earth. And as much as we want to protect ourselves and prevent, prevent, prevent all of the bad things to happen to us, things happen. And my life through my choice to be a therapist has confronted me the last five years of having to sit with people in some of their darkest moments. It's truly a privilege to have that opportunity, but it's also, it's, it changes your perspective. People who said, my life was so great, or things seemed to be going so, so well, but then there was a death in my family, or all of a sudden I felt like I could handle the world and now I have anxiety and I worry about everything. It's, it's quite the challenge to be a human on this earth that can leave us thinking with all of the power that exists in this world, where is my power? And if there's a God that's so powerful, then where is God with all of this pain and struggle that we have? So we get to Exodus, which is where I've been in my personal study. I uh, have been studying the Andrews Study Bible for a few years. Shout out to Andrews University. And uh, I have, you know, they have those little descriptions in front of Bible uh, before you read a book. And the book of Exodus in the Andrews Study Bible proclaimed something incredible. It said, when you read the book of Exodus, this is such... Uh, exploration and a testament of God's power. And I was excited. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to read the book of Exodus, and I can't wait to see what God's going to speak through me in this book of power. Well, it's hard to read power when you read the first three chapters of Exodus. And that's where we'll be this morning. Because some of you may know what happens in Exodus. It's probably one of the most well-known characters, Moses, the Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt. But we know kind of what happens generally, and we'll go through it if you don't quite know everything. But there's lots of power in this book. And that's amazing when you got to live through that story. But if you don't live through that story, and you were, if you are in those first three chapters, it's quite a different read. So this morning, we will be exploring where was God in the first three chapters of Exodus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we study your word this morning, I ask for your spirit to be with us and guide us and help us see you through pain and suffering. Amen. So let's start with chapter one. A lot of us in our modern day don't really have, haven't had the experience, perhaps, maybe, not sure of everyone's life experience or lived experience, 
but to really feel the word oppression. Oppression is defined as a cruel or unjust control. And if you open Exodus 1, which in your pew Bibles is page 53, we encounter just an, a description of what the Israelites were going through. At this time, the Israelites were oppressed and they were enslaved. And there's one person who can see, despite their oppression, despite their enslavement in Egypt, there's one person who can see that power. And that is Pharaoh. So what do we see? So um, in verse 11, um, we, before that, it's talking about all of the... Um, Enslavement that's happening, and this population keeps growing. So let's start with verse 11. So it says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So there's something that can be said about this section because what we see is that although they were enslaved, they kept growing and growing. And the person who in this case had more power, the king of Egypt, is noticing that they're getting really big. And what happens if an enslaved nation gets too big? Well, he did logical solution or math. He was like, too many people, they're going to have, there's going to be an upheaval, and if other nations don't like this, we're going to get way too big, and then they will attack, and then we will lose our power. It's interesting if you really consider, because so much when we just gleam through the first chapter, we don't realize that actually the Israelites have a little bit more power than we probably give them credit to. They were growing. They were growing because of the blessing that God had given them and had promised that as a nation, that promise to Abraham that they would continue to grow. So this nation is growing and growing, and, and the king of Egypt has a plan. Well, let's go ahead and kill all of the baby boys. Let's throw them in that Nile River, and that will hopefully help just calm, calm the growth of the Israelites. So Moses, our main um, hero of the story, our beloved Bible character, from the moment he wasn't even born yet, but his death was already planned out. He was going to die. And perhaps none of us, I hope none of us, have lived through this experience that, you know, through um, someone was already scheming and planning on your death as soon as you were born. But that was Moses' reality. So in chapter 2, we go through, and there's this story about how Moses was born. Moses is born and he's put in a basket on the Nile River because his mom knew there was something special about him. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him. They decide on his survival that they are going to make sure that he lives. And imagine being Moses and hearing the story of your life. Well, you're going to like die. But then Pharaoh's daughter happened to find you on a river, and then now you're going to go back to them, but for now you're going to be here with us. 
And I don't know what he was thinking, but I'd imagine, based on human development, there was probably quite the, the identity shift or identity exploration Moses made as he was growing up. These ages that are so characterized by who you are and, and um, what is your status or what are you going to be. And as soon as he gets to that age, he gets to have the status of being in a part of a royal family, a prince of Egypt. And maybe we could think that he had it all. I mean, he probably didn't have to worry about where his meal came or what his future was going to be. He was set. But something in him changed part of his entire story, which was his identification with his people. Because even though he probably had all the money and all the things, when he started seeing that the Egyptians were mistreating his people, that is when he acted. So we find that in Genesis 2, it says in chapter 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, looking this way and that seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fight and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, you ruler and judge over us. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses is completely caught. And in this wrestling moment of identity where he did kill an Egyptian, the Hebrews knew. Verse 15 tells us when the Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. That's scary. Here's another time where someone is actually trying to kill Moses. And this time Moses is, is aware. And he has to flee. He has to leave everything. And I imagine that he was probably in a space where maybe he was excited about life. It's natural in our stages of childhood and adolescence to be excited about what's to come. And at that point, Pharaoh wants to kill him. He's gone into the woods, or I guess not the woods, the desert. Wrong place on earth. Goes into the desert, marries Zipporah, and spends decades tending sheep. And not even his sheep, they're the sheep of his father-in-law and just does that and does that and does that. And I don't know how that experience was for him, but I can imagine a few things. While he had a new family, while he had his children, maybe those questions came of what if? What if I either hadn't made that choice or what would my future have been he probably never imagined that he was going to be in the desert ending sheep. But there, but there he was. No one can say, a tad powerless. And the end of chapter 2 tells us in verse 23 that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery and, be, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. 
And for those of you that know the story, you know where this is headed. God's going to make this big entrance. And maybe some of the Israelites thought, man, if we pray, he's going to come and he's just going to destroy these Egyptians and it's going to be so amazing. And maybe he's going to pick the cream of the crop, the most sanctified person in that, the biggest leader, the most grand person. And God finds himself in a random bush and begins to call Moses. This bush that's burning, but that's not really burning. And Moses in chapter 3 is doing his daily thing that he's been doing for a while, tending those sheep, and he sees that burning bush. And in that burning bush, we see that he approaches to it, and then we'll go ahead and start with verse 7, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And God tells him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, and he goes on and on and explains. And then verse 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And I bet Moses was like, finally, this is so good. He's finally going to come through and do these amazing things. And maybe he thought it's about time. But it was so exciting, right, to probably hear God saying, I am going to do these things. But then God throws in these three words. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And his response, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And it's a question that we probably would ask ourselves, maybe, if God came to us and said, well, I see all this pain and suffering. I see what, what's happening in this world. I see um, what happens in your family or in your community and your church. So now you go. Me? And that's what Moses straight up confronted. I don't even know if he had a moment to really pause and reflect. But he just straight up asked, who am I? I. And interestingly enough, this is the kind of question that gets asked a lot in our life as we confront big decisions and big choices that are sometimes the really challenging things that happen to us. Me? Why? Reasons. Tell me all of them. That's kind of how sometimes therapy sessions go. <laughs> Why did this happen? But God here is making a direct call and telling Moses, so now go. And his response to Moses when he's asking, who am I? The first things he says is, I will be with you. He could have said, well, Moses, let's talk about it. So look, how, look at all these amazing things I did in your life. And you were going to die, but then you didn't die. And then you were going to die again, and then you didn't die. But he's telling him, I will be with you. And this is important because what didn't matter was Moses' identity. 
What mattered is that God had made that promise that he would be with him. And in this life, it's really easy to get so absorbed into our own identity. And there's nothing wrong with getting to have a healthy relationship with self, to have self-esteem, to have healthy relationships, and to be able to feel confident. That's not the bad thing. What happens is sometimes we can get so absorbed, so absorbed into me, 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 that we forget there's a powerful God that is there ready to call upon you and to empower you. So when he says, I am with you, that's what it's all about, is that he's here with us. And these chapters go on, and if you've read them, you'll see that Moses has multiple objections. Like, how am I supposed to prove that you're with me? Like, you say you're with me, but then how am I supposed to really make sure people buy into that? And there's more and more of that conversation. But what we see is that Moses does go. But to the question of who am I and to the answer of I will be we, I will be with you, there's a couple of key things here. One is that with God's calling on our life, it is less, so much less, about who we are and more about who God is. And that God is through these chapters and through the Bible and through our life, he has made these promises and that he has kept them. And that is part of the beauty of this calling. Because through what we see in Moses' story, we see that there was so much good that he did. Have you ever seen a picture of someone you've always known as an adult and you see them as a child? It's kind of an interesting experience. At my home, we have a wall of photos. Well, maybe we did. I don't know. I don't live there anymore. It's been a while. But we did, growing up, have this wall of photos, and it was childhood portraits of my youngest sister, myself. I'm the middle daughter, and then my older sister, and then, funny enough, my two parents as children. And it was always so funny, because then we would see their faces, as miniature little people. And it's weird. And sometimes I'll even joke with my parents at time, like, isn't it so funny that we're all former babies? That's just so funny to me. But with Moses, what we see is that we get to experience his full story and that we get to see him wrestling with these questions. And sometimes we can skip ahead and think, well, I have to have faith like Moses. But it's important to recognize that perhaps that faith wasn't always there. That perhaps there were challenges he was facing and he didn't know what was going to happen next. And with the promise that he knew that God was with him, that made the difference. God gives us the yeses the permission to move forward through whatever he's calling us. So what has God called into you? What are the things that you're facing that you may say, but me? Why? That where God's telling you, I am with you. That I am there 
with you through whatever you're going through. And I've, I've always been there. I've never left. I think that's what's called calling us individually, but also as a church. As we consider our place in the Boulder Church or in your community, what has God called you to do? And maybe there's been a calling and you're like, well, that's not maybe me. But here's the beautiful thing. You're never alone. It's not about you. There's probably someone else that has the same desire. Link up with that person. We move as a church, as a community, and we move with God. And we'll quickly go to Exodus. I don't remember the chapter. Ah, uh, yeah. Chapter... There's a lot that happens in Moses. Oh, yes. Okay, chapter 14, verse 31. And we were talking a little bit about Moses, and I shared this with Impact last week, that through these chapters of when Moses goes and, and God reveals his power through this book, uh, through this story, that we get to the parting of the Red Sea, and there's a celebration and a verse that really stuck out to me that I want to make sure to leave with you all is verse 31. And it says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his Moses, his servant. God could have easily, again, done it by himself or even through the Red Sea, just done it all and their faith and trust couldn't have been placed on Moses. But how powerful that when God is revealing such amazing things like parting a sea, it's revealed to us through this text that the trust was in God and in you. And that's the kind of power that God is ready to place in all of us. The band is going to come back up. And we're going to sing um, a very powerful song. I'm going to sing a few of them. Um, but this song is called Come As You Are. I'm going to read the first few uh, lines that we're going to sing. And the words are, come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. In a world where there's pain and there's struggle and we may not find God, God is with us and is ready to call us out of sadness. <laughs> 